welcome to season five of the Charity Matters podcast. I'm Heidi Johnson, nonprofit founder, lifelong helper, and your host. I've been interviewing the helpers for over a decade with my blog, and I'm so excited to be sharing these inspiring conversations on our podcast. Join me as we learn the challenges and stories of innovators, entrepreneurs, and modern day heroes who set out to solve the problems of humanity. Did you know that over 9 million children in the United States live in food insecure homes? Today's guest is no stranger to this fact. Join us today as Dan Zouderer, the founder of Grassroots Groceries, shares his incredible journey of going from middle school teacher to a nonprofit founder, taking on this challenge to feed America's children. It's a story you're not gonna wanna miss. We are so excited today to have Dan Zouderer from Grassroots Groceries to share his incredible story of the amazing work he's doing in New York to feed so many. So welcome, Dan. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Heidi, for having me. I'm excited uh, to be here and share a little bit about Grassroots Grocery. We're really excited to learn about it. And I think these conversations are so important to have because I really, truly believe that the world is not focusing on the right people. And there are um, heroes among us and angels among us who walk the streets next to us every day and we don't know their stories. And I think um, at a time where we, the media keeps telling us things are so bad, when we really look at people um, and tell stories like yours, I think it's inspiring for all of us of what we can do. Yeah, I've just been blown away by the goodness of humanity, you know, ever since I started a nonprofit and, and, and it's, it's definitely something that we need to focus on more is just, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's easier to focus on sound bites and make people angry. Um, but the truth of the matter is that there's so many people who are looking to do good and so many people who do good and that are focused on doing good. And if we turn the spotlight onto them, then, then I think that people will be happier and, and well-being will be better across uh, across 100%. The, the United States and, and beyond. And so, yeah. Exactly. And that's why we're having these conversations and I've been doing great, this for great. 10 years. So the wow. podcast is, yeah, 10 years I've been interviewing nonprofit founders. But tell us a little bit about what Grassroots Groceries does. Sure. So we actually just changed our mission statement. Um, our, our mission statement is to advance food justice by cultivating a community of neighbors helping neighbors. And so what that means in action is it means neighbors coming together in bottom-up grassroots service right. to make sure that their fellow neighbors have enough food to eat. Um, and, and there are two different you know, programs that we do that through, I, I can get into specifics, um, but it, but it's really just, just founded upon the notion that we all need to come together to, to take a bite out of food insecurity. This is not something that, that just, you know, big food pantries can do alone. It's not something that we can just leave up to the policymakers. It's something right. that to be effective, it's a problem that's so big that the only way to really shift it is for everybody to be involved in that, you know, wh- whether it's by people roping in their their corporate workplace, or whether it's by people reaching out to their local Girl Scout troops and schools and churches and temples and mosques, or or whether it's about you know people just taking a couple hours out of their week or month to 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 help 
make sure that their neighbors are, are nourished and fed. That that's what this is about. It's kind of a, a narrative shift focusing on on bottom up direct action from from the people. Which I love because I think that at the end of the day, nonprofits, A, we exist because policymakers can't do everything. <laughs> B, we nonprofits exist because we're people who care. And and C, we exist because we create community and culture and connection. And at our at our roots of what we are as humans is we were a tribe. We were tribes that took care of each other. And and to your exact point, we have to get back to that um, that simple yet basic human nature of just taking care of your neighbor, right? I mean, that's well, the I, and everything. I, yeah, I mean, I, I also think that that you know, however the the media wants to paint the, the picture of the world these days, as we kind of just spoke about that there are people. I really feel almost all of them. You know, they're born good and they want to do good. And and so part of my work at Grassroots Grocery is just creating a catalyst for that, right. you know, good hearted nature and people to come out because I just I, I've just met so many families that, that have come up to me and that have shared that they've just been so eager to get involved in service, but both themselves as adults, but also for their young people. You know, we work with lots of children, you know, under the age of 13, for example, and they just, they just can't find options and and it's not easy, you know, and and people have busy lives and they're inundated and bombarded with this. And they don't know where to start. Right. 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 So, so, so if we can make that easy and we can provide a catalyst, that's, you know, it's just basically about operationalizing this notion of neighbors helping neighbors and applying it specifically to the realm of, of food justice is kind of what, what we're all about. So. Which is brilliant. So I have to go kind of to the beginning. Did you grow up yeah. with a really philanthropic family? Did you grow up with great role models? Did you, were you always kind of leaning this way? I mean, I know your backstory, but obviously yeah. people listening well, do not. And we're going to yeah, get to that, I mean, but I, I'd like to know, like, were there early seeds of philanthropy or so I, well, so yeah. There's a couple of ways to answer that question. Right. I, I think if you want to get if you want to get to the root, you know, or, or like it, as early as possible, um, it it starts with with me. I was actually adopted at birth, um, and I was adopted in Waco, Texas, at birth. Um, My dog and, is from Waco, Texas. Just so you know, oh, we adopted hey, our dog from go. Waco. Wow, well, then your dog <laughs> and I have something in common. Um, so, so I have, common, I have something in common with two people. In, in, in anyway, um, so yeah, so so I think that that fact alone, I think, made me aware of 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 the wider world in a way that. Sometimes people aren't, you know, because right. we, we grow up in our in our silos in our communities. But right. I think just knowing that I was adopted into just such a, a generous, um, you know, well-to-do, loving family, it made me grateful for what I had. Right. It also made me aware of the fact that it wasn't automatically going to be that way. You know that that, that I won the lottery, um, and so I think. That part of it is that, you know, is is, is that that idea well, of, of just like knowing where I came from and and, and that I would that I'm lucky to, to be where I'm and your birth today. mother, yeah. your birth mother. It was the ultimate philanthropist the ultimate oh, yeah. charity and, of, of the ultimate yeah. love gift. And of we love, actually right? know each other today. We actually know each other today. Oh. Um, we we uh, my, my my birth mother used a, a some kind of service called um, adoption search angels or something like that to do a. Uh, put some information in a database because she she always wanted to find me 
Um, I was a closed adoption, but she put down, you know, the hospital I was born in or something like that and the date I was born in. And and, and she found me uh, um, and I got a Facebook message in like 2011 um, from my half sister saying, hey, I think that I think that I, I think that my mom is your birth mom. And I was like, I, wow. you know, I thought it was a scam at first. I was like, I'm not going to wire any money to a bank. Right. You know, I didn't know because it was just a random Facebook message from a stranger. Right. But, it, you know, anyway, I, I, I was sitting with my with my adoptive mom, you know, the mom that I call my mom in, in the who is my mom in the in our living room, in my house in the suburbs. And and I showed her the message and and she confirmed that that was that that is my birth mother, you know, and and so wow. and so we actually my girlfriend and I just recently went out um, maybe a year ago to Waco, Texas, um, and and I was part of my half brother's wedding. Uh, I, I oh was one God. of the groomsmen oh. at my half brother's wedding in Waco, and that was a crazy experience being with with people in Waco. That, anyway, yeah, okay, we're, this we're is obviously, I'm a New York Jew, you know. So, so, <laughs> so, my, so my Waco family is very, very different from my New York Jewish liberal family. Um, and it was really an interesting, an interesting exploration. Oh. And my girlfriend, I both loved it. We came away from that experience. So, so with our cups so filled, I even I met my birth father as well. There, he's like a cowboy who lives in in uh, Fort Worth. Uh, he bought me a cowboy hat. Anyway, it was oh, a crazy, crazy this. journey. I love uh, this. Kind of a, uh, well, a I have, four, I, have I have a son in Fort Worth, so you and I have some Texas roots. But um, oh, there you go. Yeah, there you, you go. Hang out with my birthday. So yeah. I love, I love the story because it, if you talk about just your roots and even your grassroots groceries, I mean, I think yeah, your yeah, roots, yeah. your roots are all based on love and philanthropy. So that is a yeah. really beautiful yeah. segue. But, yeah. So, but, I mean, part of it, I think, is also oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, let's say people don't grow up, at least I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of nonprofit founders in the last decade, and not one of them has ever said, when I grew up, when I was young, I wanted to be a nonprofit founder. Right. Not one. True. Something, True. Something I wanted to be happens. a lawyer or something. Yeah. Right. No one ever. No one ever has that. Never does he meet the top 10 list. So you're growing up, you have this beautiful life, you have this wonderful family, and something yep. usually happens mid-career or on a path that sets someone completely in a U-turn in a direction they yep. didn't expect. It yep. happens yep. every time and almost every person can tell me that moment of that story when they knew they had to do something. So why don't you share with us what that was for you? Yeah, sure. So, well, there's that one kind of um, white light moment, but then there's also kind of the process of getting there. Um, and, and so I think I want to talk about both of those things. Sure, sure. Um, and and so it kind of begins with with me having a career like in in, in the startup world, um, you know, doing sales and business development in, in New York, um, and that was after deciding that I didn't want to be a lawyer because I had interned in my dad's law firm and realized this is not this is not for my dad loves it, but that's not it's the <laughs> right. exception to the rule. This is not for me, um, and so I set off into the startup world, um, and. I loved the element of that world that involved working with people. You know, I, I really right. felt I loved just connecting with, with with people and trying to help solve their problems um, from a sales, you know, and business development perspective. But I just hated the things that I was selling, um, and <laughs> and so I, I I kind of you know I, I was selling I was in the daily deal industry. I remember like Groupon and Living Social. I was doing something like that, and, and, I, right. and for a while I sold office supplies to businesses, and it was just not something that really can light you up, you know? Right. Um, and, and so I, I, um, I moved out to, um, I decided that I was going to stop everything and move out to Costa Rica. 
Um, oh, wow. Just for like a life break, right. you know, and teach English. I'm okay. sure you've heard of people that kind of just take off and yeah. teach English like in another place, you know, right. not because they want to do that as a career, but just because you're figuring out, you know, you're restarting. Right. Um, yeah. And so I did that. Um, and I moved out to Costa Rica and I taught, um, I taught for a year and a half there in, in, in the rainforest at first and then in a city near San Jose, the capital. Um, and I fell in love with, with, with teaching. Um, and, and so I went back to, uh, Columbia university teachers college to get my, my, my master's in teaching English to speakers of other languages. And I started working at, at a, a, a school called the American dream school, which is a school in the South Bronx that, um, that whose real population is, is the, the children of mostly undocumented Central American, um, and Mexican immigrants. Um, and, and so that was the pop, the student population I was working with at the American dream school. Right. And it's in that experience with, with students and families of the American dream school that I get, you know, cause that was already like a mistake was to be a, a middle <laughs> school. Like I never thought my mom actually was a teacher in the Bronx. Like before she, she, she raised me without uh, working in a career. But right. other than being a mom, which is a great career, uh, right. but, but, but she, she had been a teacher in the Bronx herself. And I never thought that I would follow in my mom's footsteps. Right. Um, and then it just kind of happened that there I was teaching in the Bronx, you know. Um, so you're teaching, you're teaching these, yeah. and you've already had these little twists and turns in your career, which is, which is normal. Yeah. And, but you get from teaching to starting a nonprofit. So what? Yeah, so that, yeah, yeah. Talk so, to me about what that moment was. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I guess the way that it kind of happened is is a story that that I that I tell a lot, um, and that I feel somewhat conflicted about telling um, b- because, and the reason being is that, is that I think that I just want to set the context around the story that that, that it's not about the individual in the story, other than me, it's really about me and my right. introduction to this right. work, um, right. and 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 not about the other individuals in the story, because I think that we can get, you know, th- these stories can become sensationalized, and, and they're great for for raising money, and and they're and part of that storytelling is what we need to do as a nonprofit in order to rope in our it, supporters. It's the and fine our line. It's yeah. right. It's a fine line that yeah. we walk. Because all we are here to serve humanity, and yet we have to share, to your point, the stories of humanity yep. to do that. Yep. And and the line is how do you how do you share what you're, the work yep. you're doing without exploiting someone? And I'm exactly. on. I've been involved with exactly. Children's Hospital Los Angeles, and we're telling stories of sick children. I mean, and you you're like, how do I share this and and exactly and, right. and highlight the work? So I. I completely exactly understand. Right. And, and, and so one thing that, that this I've, is your I've, story, this is your yeah, story. So exactly. And, and it's, and that's important is every founding organ, any story that's founder led, right. I mean, any, any organization period, but especially one that's still run by the founder, you know, the founder's story is central to the organization. Um, 100%. And, and so, and so you're it, teaching it starts, in the middle school, you're yeah, teaching, teaching at the American the middle school. school. And I, I, I'm, I'm walking home to the six train, which is just the green line in New York city, um, okay. in the Bronx. 
And on my way onto the subway, I see one of my students on the, on the, the sidewalk whose name I now keep anonymous. I didn't always, but that's why right. I'm talking about this conversation. You know, right. one of the things that have changed. Um, yeah. And and next to my student, I see that there's this elderly woman who's digging through a trash can, you know, looking for cans or for, you know, dumpster diving. Um, and, and so I reach out to my student the next day. Um, I take my student aside from the cafeteria. Right. And I ask them, you know, to share about, about it. And they tell me that the woman was their grandmother um, and, and, that, and that this was something that, that was a normal activity for, for, for this woman. And, and, and so that, that was kind of the, the moment. The, the that moment. you realize that how many moment. children are going hungry in the United States every day and that their, main, their only meal is often at school. Right. And, and, and just because it was a child that I knew. Right. You know, that I taught. So this was before the pandemic too, by the way, you know, and and, and so that, yeah. When things were quote better. Um, so before people focused on hunger, you know, I mean, it was always a thing, but, 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 you know, hunger really got a lot of support during the pandemic. Um, Correct. So here's the thing. There's millions of people that walk by people dumpster diving every day and see people hungry every day or see people that they think might need something and they don't do anything about it. They don't, they don't do anything. And that's, that's the difference here. And so what I find, and I've never had one nonprofit founder say, Oh yeah, I did this because it's to our earlier conversation. It's about a community and it's about coming together, but you see a really clear problem. And then what do you do? I mean, you just say, I'm going to start a nonprofit. No. no, so 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 well. So it it started out as as just you know I, I wanted to. Well, so then COVID happens, right? right? Um, and school shuts down, and I had always done like donors choose things for my classroom, you know, right. like oh help us get these books or whatever. Right. Um, but there were no books to be bought because there was no classroom to. You know, right. well, it, well, it just wasn't the same. And and so I thought, you know, how can I rally my family and friends around something that would be helpful to my student community during the pandemic? And and so I decide that we should just raise a bunch of money um, because I had heard about, you know, it wasn't just this one student. There were other families right. that I was learning about during the pandemic who who had to deal with food insecurity. Um, or had been dealing with like a lot, lack of internet access in the house, you know, making right. classroom really hard or, or just other kinds of, you know, day-to-day reality. Right. There were so many needs that you, right. Yeah. And so you're trying to care said, for okay, your students. Right. 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 So I just said, okay, let's just start a GoFundMe and raise money for the school. Um, and that's the way that I kind of got started with, with this kind of direct action work advocating for families with, was just, raising money um on gofundme uh, and, and so we did that we read yeah and n- m- i mean most i would say 99.9 i would say 100 of the people i've talked to actually no one knows what they're getting into when they start oh, this. God, yeah, there's no playbook there's no I, I believe there is now a nonprofits for dummies but no one buys it no one's ever uh, read it that i know of uh, who knew <laughs> I, I didn't know yeah. when i started mine. someone needs I mean, to write a good version of that right <laughs> But but we all get into this 
blind. And we all kind of get into this usually because of one person. There's one person we initially want to help and something, all of a sudden we want to help more and more and more. So you're raising all this money. At what point do you decide this needs to be a nonprofit? Yeah, so... Well, so so first part of it was was just um, you know finding out, learning more and more about the situation. So like I did a because I wanted to be able to share data with the people that I was raising money from, right? And, the and so I just yeah, and so I just did a little a, a little um, text message survey to eighty eight families in the sixth grade class. Um, all the family there were eighty eight families, and I sent right. the text message in English and Spanish, um, and right. I asked them. Have you ever had to cut down on a meal or skip a meal during the pandemic ever since the school buildings have closed? Right. 45% said yes. Wow. Um, this is of the ones, then they knew that it, who it was, like that it was me sending this message. So that, that was the ones that were honest enough to admit it to, to right. the student's teacher, you know. And then um, asked another question, um, which was like about frequency for those that answered yes. Right. And I found out that one at one out of every four of the eighty-eight families were cutting down on meals, just giving meals a few times every week. Um, wow. And 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 so that data that was specific to my school community, I guess it got me thinking about. Well, first of all, the 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 money that we had raised ran out pretty quickly. You know, yeah. so that was it. Happens that way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's something. Especially that, these you know, days at the grocery like, store, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the other thing with rising food prices and everything. But right. but you know, the money ran out quickly, but there were still people that were hungry, uh, right. or dealing with food insecurity. And 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 so and so it, it actually started out as me thinking, what can we do to make this more sustainable to help feed students and their families that, that's not only purchasing food at the consumer price level on Amazon because we were buying rice and beans and granola bars and stuff and shipping them to families. Like, you know, with the money, that's what we did. Right. It was just an emergency response thing. I would, you know, text families and be like, Oh, what do you right. need? It's, you know, it's some a band-aid, said, oh, laundry now, detergent. Some of them said, you know, right. like rice and beans, whatever. Um, but right, it's a exactly. band-aid. At the end of the day, it's a band-aid and you're looking for a long-term healing solution. Yeah, for your, for I mean, I didn't know what I, what I was looking for, but but I knew that that the money was running out, um, right? And 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 so and so I and I knew that there were still people that were hungry. You know, whether whether the next solution would be a band aid or not was kind of beyond. At this point, it was just put you know boots boots on the ground, right? Um, and and I hear about this. I'm actually I'm on a date in 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 the park on the Upper East Side, um, and 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 the woman on the date tells me about that, that she's involved or, or thinking about getting involved with, with, with a community refrigerator. And, and I had, and I didn't know what this was. Um, and so that was the only date that this woman and I ever had, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't. (laughs) When you're on the right path, people along the way point you in the right direction. And that was one of the people that was supposed to be doing that. Yes, Yes, exactly. Um, and, and so I, I looked up, um, community refrigerators. And the idea is just literally a, a, a fridge on the sidewalk put down by an organizer, a group of organizers, and that you get plugged into a local store and you have fam, um, you have, you get people to donate food that have extra food and then to put inside the fridge. Right, right. And then you have 
and then anybody in need can go. It's like a little library concept, you know, where anybody right, who right, needs the little it books, can right. take and it. And it's an yeah, honor, it's just it's an honor system. It's, it's an, an honor, honor system. system. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, let's do this um, right. for my own local school community because it was already being done. Right. With some some level of success, it had gotten media attention, you know, and so I spoke to some people that had that had done it, and so I said, "Let's do this." Um, and and so I rallied together students and families—not students and families. I mean, uh, they they came along too to help to benefit right. from it, but but I rallied together uh, like staff, uh, fellow staff, right, um, and my own family and friends, and right. said, "All right, let's start a community fridge in Mod Haven." Um, and so that's the way that this started was as a was as a teacher's passion project called that I called at the time Mott Haven Fridge because it was a right. fridge in, in Mott Haven. <laughs> um, and that's and that and that was still not like let's turn this into a nonprofit. That was just like let's do and let's this, make this feeding thing more sustainable. And this is in two thousand. Is this in two thousand? No, twenty 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 right September twenty twenty. So right. it's so it's the beginning. It's the beginning of the of the next school year. Right. Um, COVID had already ravaged our our, our world. Right. You know, in March. In March, whatever. right. And then we had the summer, and the summer was when I did all of the fundraising, like to get, you know, to get kids, uh, all the food and other things and and right. spots. And we actually did get some books that we shipped to right, that they could pick up and bring home. And cause they're, cause all the camps were closed and, you know, and everything. Um, and, and then September, 2020 rolls around. And I, and that's when I work with the school community, uh, to launch this community fridge in Mont Haven called Mont Haven fridge. So what point did you decide it needed to be a nonprofit? <laughs> well, um, so this, Fridge was was getting what basically I, I just started thinking about um it just basically became a full-time job, this one fridge. Um right. because you know it's one thing to have a fridge on the street, but then it's on a street corner, you know, but then it's another thing to make sure that it's filled up with food. Um and and at the time there were these grassroots organizers that were like, you know, working on in underground networks to like identify extra food and and help bring it to these community fridges that were around the city and and so i tapped into that i got connected but right. then suddenly it was about facilitating the distribution you're a distributor you're right. all of a sudden yeah, a distributor. Right. Right. you're running a distribution so, so, business right yeah basically yeah i mean at first it was only for this one community fridge um right but that's exactly right um and, and and so yeah, like like I would you know I would I would teach Zoom, um, from like just like I am right now, you know I would teach right. Zoom, but then in the background, I was you know using my 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 iMessage <laughs> and stuff to 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 text people. To you, know, this, you go there, right. you can pick up this, and drop it off there, and it was just becoming. It was like a mission control center outside in my virtual classroom, doing it at the same time as teaching, and and I just. And it just became unsustainable. It was just, you know, right. I, I can't do this well and also be the teacher that my students deserve. Right. And so I had to decide, do I either want to scale back the community fridge efforts and, and stay as a teacher or, right. or do I want to, so I guess that was really, that was basically 
it was just that that I, yeah, I, I just knew that there needed to be a more sustainable apparatus. So what were some of those thing. early challenges? Oh, um, well, it's still early. We're still early. Um, <laughs> you so you, still you are in your, you are in your infancy. You're only a couple, you're only three yeah. years old. You're a toddler. Yeah. You're a toddler yeah. of a nonprofit. You're still a yeah, baby. Exactly. So what are some of the challenges? Exactly. Um, so many challenges. Uh, funding is, is, was a huge challenge. Always. Uh, There's no startup by the way, nonprofit or otherwise it doesn't have that same challenge. Yeah, although it's even harder in, in, in a nonprofit because at least with startups you can get you know angel investors or venture right. capital money eventually, but with nonprofit right. there's no real equivalent to, to no, an angel investor. Not really, or, uh, not or really. Venture capital, you know, and so it's really foundations. Foundations, yeah, but brands. that's you know most foundations. You know, we have a little bit of foundation support, but most big deal foundations they want you to been around for a certain number of years. They want you right. to audit financial statement, all these things that we you don't necessarily have as an early right. stage nonprofit. Right, um, right, and. And and so it's so funding and grow and volunteers and I mean right. I don't know, every challenge that you can think of is a challenge <laughs> that we have. By the way, uh, welcome to the nonprofit space because every nonprofit yeah. uh, foundation has the identical identical challenges. So speaking of challenges, I like to say, and you were talking a little bit about you're juggling, you know, teaching, you're running a nonprofit on the side, you're multitasking, you're torn, and all these things. I mean, we have real lives. We still have laundry to do. We still have to get our own groceries. We still have to, you know, go to the dry cleaners and yet we're serving people. And in your case, if you don't work, they don't eat. And there's a moment where the, I always say the bucket is heavy that you just think, how am I going to do this today? And so Uh what fuels you, what fuels you in those moments? Yeah. I mean, Couple, couple things. One, one is my amazing, you know, my, my amazing girlfriend and mom and family and dad. You know, just like having great people Support. in my personal life. Right, um, is one thing. Another is the amazing community of volunteers. You know, we we I've, I've recruited over almost three thousand volunteers wow. to help out with 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 this work, and and they light me up. You know, the, awesome. the, the, and, and, and whether it's little kids or high schoolers engaging in some kind of direct action to support their neighbors with food justice or or just, you know, every every Saturday we have what I call a produce party um, <laughs> where we come together with dozens, if not over 100 volunteers in a parking lot in the South Bronx. Wow. And we unload a truck filled with excess surplus produce that we've picked up from the Hunts Point produce market, which is the biggest produce market in the country. And then every Saturday we work together as volunteers to unload that truck, to sort through all the food, and then to load it up into the vehicles of our volunteer drivers who come and bring it to our network of, of community liaison, uh, community liaisons, uh, leaders, you know, and, 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 and so this past Saturday we had, I don't even remember how many vehicles. I think we had 36 volunteer drivers. Wow. Um, over a hundred people, I want to say. Um, wow. And, and we, and we delivered to, I think it was 32 or 34 uh, communities 
And, wow. and we're still waiting on recipient counts from all of our community liaisons. But so far, with not everybody reporting their numbers, we, we, we reached over a thousand families in that one Saturday. So impact, let's talk about impact. You're talking about all these incredible people that you fed and served and distributed. And impact is a word that I have a, a serious love-hate relationship with because we how do you measure impact when you're feeding someone who can now pay attention in your class and function as a human being? How do you measure? You can say, I served this many meals or I did this, but our impact is often so much more. And when we are asked to give kind of our ROI or return on investment to our donors of our impact, I don't think it it often equates to what we're really doing. So no, if you had to no. define what your impact is, whether it's stats or or story what would what would that be yeah sure so well well i i first of all i totally agree with you about the the kind of uh necessary evil of of, of staff statistics in this work um be, because i'll actually just share a, a random story uh, about another nonprofit that I heard. This is just about the the dangers of of like of, of foundations and and funders asking for specific metrics. Um, and it was a story that I heard about somebody who was doing was working with um with with rape victims in in Africa. Um, and and the criteria for the grant were were the number of of, of victims that you were able to to treat like with 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 services, right? Right. Um, and but then this. This organization realized, as I'm sure that I mean, if you've ever been in therapy, I've been in so much. There was a New York Jew. I've been in way too, way much, way more therapy than I can even count. Uh, but I know that therapy is not just a one-off engagement with somebody, right? Right. And and so, but this foundation, this grantor, wanted to know the number of people that that had that had been treated, that had received a, a therapy session, as opposed to people getting ongoing treatment, but which would obviously right. be a smaller group of people, but they would actually get the treatment that they needed. And so I right. thought that you really have to make sure that you're measuring it's, things that matter. Um, right. And how you and measure that. Who are sitting in some, you know, place somewhere that's outside of the work that we do. It's very difficult. So I love this new movement that I think is really taking root in trust-based philanthropy, which right. is all about empowering nonprofit right. leaders and saying, Hey, Here's money for your general operating. We right. know that you, as somebody with boots on the ground, knows where to allocate these dollars to make the most impact. So we're not going to ask well, you for impact metrics that we don't really understand. Um, and the and, frustrating and so thing is that we spend so much time trying to measure our worth that we're not doing the work and we're using our resources to right. hire someone to help us measure. That's exactly right. And it, it ends up creating a crazy situation. That's exactly right. Yeah. It and, doesn't and make so any sense. I, yeah. And so when I have funders that that, you know, that 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 that, that, that tell me like, oh, you know, we, we only fund program. Like, you know, so I mean you have to work with them. It's, unfortunately I have to, you know, I have to to do that sometimes. Um but but it's just it's a frustrating thing because all the money goes to good, you know, is the point. Right. Is, is it not, none of it's being siphoned off into some kind of, you know, vacation fund or something. Um, right. So and, do you and, like and, to tell anyway, people? Uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, just in terms of impact. Um, yes, th for me, I do both. Um, and so, for example, all of our volunteers that came out this past Saturday, they got right. an email 
you know, saying that 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 you, you know, this past Saturday, you uh, you moved about 10,000 pounds of excess produce to 34 different communities throughout Harlem and the Bronx. And you reached over 1000 families um, through community leader liaisons who gave out that food to their neighbors in need in the way that they saw best. Um, so that's something that every you know volunteer received. Um, so and that's just one weekend. Happen. That's just one. That weekend. was just one weekend. Yeah, yeah. That, that happens every weekend, but you know, a different version of that. Right. Um, but so that's that's one thing. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, so much of it, because the other thing that we do is we help set up these community refrigerators that, I, well, like the one I started in Montevideo, like you said, is based on the honor system right. um, in different housing projects throughout the city, and. And the impact metrics there are, are you can't, you don't really, I mean, eventually, once we get to be really big and fancy, you can do some things with technology. Um, like if you have the fridge connected to Wi-Fi, you have weight sensors that can detect, you know, how full or empty a fridge is. And right. you can use kind of motion sensors to figure out how many times the doors are bit, but we don't have any technology like that yet. Um, like the so, hotel so when you just, take the M&Ms and they're like, we need exactly, to take the M&Ms exactly. out of the yeah, refrigerator. Exactly, bro. right? So that, that's <laughs> you can charge $7. That maybe, for yeah, your bag of M&Ms. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that so that can happen eventually, right? But we're we are nowhere near there right now. And so that so that's based totally on 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 people believing in the idea of dignified and anonymous access to food for right. people that are not getting it from the food pantry or other more institutional research. So they just have to buy into that idea and that belief that these community fridges are serving a need and filling a gap right. that are not being filled. But some of the other services, they might have more direct, concrete impact statistics, you know? Um, right. So there's that. And I also think that the story, all of the stories are so important to highlight. And like every Saturday, our volunteers are bringing food to community leaders. And then our community leaders are the ones who are then giving out the food to their people in need. And right. so we have this crew of community leaders, I call them grassroots grocers of the grassroots right. grocers. Love that. And and they all have stories of their own. Right. They're all doing this work, mostly for almost all of them are doing it for free, just because they're leaders in their community and they want to give food to their people in need. And so they're also wow. volunteers. They're not the volunteer right. drivers, although some pick up for their own communities, but they're the right. they're volunteers giving up. And so one of my my real aspirations for this year, and I've been working with with this, uh, a graduate student at NYU to do a little bit of this, and and we have some some paid interns from Fordham who I think will hop in and help out with this. Uh, is we want to be able to spotlight all of those community leaders and share their stories. Uh, nice. Um, whether it's through you know video or or a blog post or whatever to put to really sh put some shine on all of these boots on the ground grassroots leaders that 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 are giving it so it's a really just centering that story right of all uh, of, of what's of and the concepts and the ideas and the beliefs that they were perpetuating that were that were helping to build you know so dan if you had any dream because you can't be a founder you can't be an entrepreneur without a dream you obviously had a dream when you started this to take care of the families in your class and the dream always expands and the dream always gets bigger but if you had any dream for grassroots groceries what would that what does that look like what's the big dream well i guess every nonprofit 
food access founder, you know, the real dream is to, is to end food insecurity. Um, but, but that's not going to be in my lifetime, probably, although it would be amazing if it would be. Um, but my dream is just for, for this mentality, this, this mindset of neighbors helping neighbors to promote food justice kind of mm-hmm. just takes root across more communities and, and becomes ingrained into the the habit of people's lives. And it's already happening. Mm-hmm. You know, we have families that are that are making sandwiches or that are taking leftover meals and putting them into Tupperware containers and filling the community fridges with them or, or taking time out of their Saturday once a month to join us in a produce party. And, and, but, but if it really just, just became commonplace, right. This this idea that, that we all need to come together. It can't just be these big food rescue trucks or these big nonprofits or the policymakers. It, it, it's right. up to, to all of us, even if it's just a couple hours a month. That, that That's really my dream is for that mentality, that world to just wash over the, the world. <laughs> yeah. Amen. I love that. I love that. So Thank you've you. been on this wild three-year journey. Um, I have to take a gander. There's been some life lessons you've learned in the last three oh, years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you care to share any life lessons that you've learned since you started the grassroots grocery? You alluded to a couple yeah, well, of them at the beginning of our conversation about people being good. I would say that would probably be one of them, but I'm not trying to do a spoiler alert. No, people are amazing. And, and, and that's, that's something that I think I always knew though. Um, but, 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 I, what's a life lesson that I learned is, is, is just how one, I I think that, that, that it's just so important to have meaning in, in, in the work that you, that I do. It's really important for, for me to, to do something that, 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 that feels meaningful. And, and, you know, it's starting a nonprofit was, is by far I actually another part of my story that I never even shared. I've been sober for twelve years or something like that. You Congratulations! Know? And, that, and that, thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations! So that, that that's too. wonderful. Yeah, so so that's but but I, the, I and starting a nonprofit is even harder than getting sober. You know, it's, just, <laughs> it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Now that's ever. now that's a new one for me because I would say getting sober <laughs> is probably one of the hardest things you could ever do. <laughs> having walked the journey with a number of people that I know, but, um, but that yeah. I do. I mean, think not, this not for everybody. Hardest. I got sober young, you know, uh, so, but, but for me, this is, it's just by far the most difficult thing that I've ever had to do. And, and it's so important to have, I'm just so lucky that, that I created that, that this amazing community of neighbors helping neighbors has sprung up about me. Because it's those, it's those people. I mean, even the person, even um, uh, Natalie, who introduced me to you, you know, is, right, is, yeah. is a volunteer. You know, right. is some is is one of our community of neighbors helping neighbors. Right. You know, and 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 the fact that I can do this work and light people up and get people's kids involved and spread this message, it, it just, you know, it, it that that's what fills my my cup. So I guess just, just, just centering 
centering meaning and, 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 and finding a way to, to remember all of the blessings of, of the work that you're doing. It's so easy to get mired down in, in the, in the things you haven't done yet and the money you still have to raise and the impact you still have to do and the, the people that are not happy with you or whatever, you know, there's, there's, yeah, but at the end of the day, yeah. you know, we get paid in, um, in different ways. We don't get into this for the money. This isn't the That's work that you don't, true, yeah. you don't do this to get rich. Um, yep. but we get paid to your point in having a purpose driven life and we get paid in seeing kindness and compassion and generosity move forward. And we get to witness that and be a part of that journey and that community and that connection. And, and there's nothing, there's no amount of money that can replace that for any human being. And, and I think one of the reasons I love having conversations with people like you is to let everyone know who's listening, who doesn't have hasn't found that 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 purpose yet to keep looking and to keep serving and keep trying on different different things because it is the greatest gift you will ever give yourself. Yeah. And I think so many people have that's what I love about grassroots grocery also is that it doesn't only give me meaning, but it gives our community leaders meaning who give out food every week, you know, where you be able to we are able to be a catalyst for that. And it also gives our community of volunteers meaning. You know, and, and absolutely and allows them to, and that's what amazes me is like people who, you know, advocate for us with their kids' schools or their workplaces or you know, it, it, all of the relationships that I have today are through a volunteer reaching out to their own community and saying, "Hey, check out Grassroots Grocery. How can you know? How can we help?" And 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 that's that's a blessing too to be able to, to 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 be that for other people and for them to reciprocate and, and help us grow and you know so yeah that's how you change the world dan that's how it happens that's Just right like that. yeah that's how yeah, we yeah. change the world one person one at, a time, at a time one act there of kindness go. at a time one neighbor at a time that's how it's done so tell yeah. us how we can support you how we can donate how we can volunteer how we can where we can find you on social media for all sure. of those good things for sure sure so so first of all um definitely connect with me on linkedin um, I'm just Dan Daniels out of, uh, Z-A-U-D-E-R-E-R, um, on LinkedIn. I would love for you to, to become a part. I post a lot there with just different things that we're doing with corporations and communities, um, right. on Instagram and yeah, on Instagram, we are grassroots grocery NY. Remember okay. the NY and my right. personal Instagram is, is, uh, is Daniels out um, and yeah, and 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 to and, and your website your, is your website. Yeah, it's, it's grassroots, G-R-A-S-S, roots, R-O-O-T-S, grocery, um, dot org is our website. And and if you're in the New York area, go online and sign up to volunteer. Um, and I'll Yay. see you at a produce party or at a fr- filling a fridge near you. Um, and if you're not in the New York area, um, consider your financial support because we would love you know it, it, it's a really uh, long road as a young nonprofit becoming sustainable and it's thanks to all the people who support us financially that we can make this work happen so you know click the the donate button on grassrootsgrocery.org or or uh, facilitate Yay. a gift through your donor advised fund and and let's uh I love let's make that this thing happen, or if know? you're a food manufacturer and you're listening and you have extra that is true too. Yeah, product absolutely. please think about Sending some distribution Dan's way to grassroots groceries. Absolutely. I, yeah. Dan, and you can reach me, by the way. Anybody can email me at dan, D A N, at grassrootsgrocery.org. Would be happy to uh, 
be in conversation with any of your listeners. It's just an awesome, awesome work that you're doing, um, spotlighting nonprofits that are that are working to, to on on big problems in the world. So, well, we're so grateful for you, Dan. Thank you for your time. Thank, Thank you. you for what you're doing to feed and inspire this community of future givers and servant leaders and filling their tummies and their brains and doing all this incredible good work. We're so grateful for you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Charity Matters Podcast. I really enjoyed talking to our guest, Dan Zouderer, about what it takes to start a business that truly changes people's lives. I think his comment about having a life full of meaning was so inspiring and true. To learn more about modern day heroes like Dan, or if you'd like to reach out to us, visit us at charity-matters.com or connect with us on Instagram at Charity Matters. If you enjoyed our conversation, we would love if you shared it with your family and friends. And please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. But more importantly, thank you for caring, for believing in goodness and being a part of our movement. You're exactly what the world needs more of. Remember that together we can make a difference. One small act of kindness at a time. Charity matters. See you next time.